Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen and Murph here. Hello there, I'm excited, Owen. Murph, about well, a couple of things. Firstly, our road trip. Mm-hmm. I see you're well supplied there. You've got the snacks, you've got the supplies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as long as there are no further follow-up yeah. questions, yes, Owen. Yes, we I do are on the road to Cork very shortly to kick off our Euros coverage at our big live show at Crane Lane Theatre tonight. Mm. That will be ready for you tomorrow morning yeah should be great that uh, should be great yeah we've got big Paul McGrath yeah one of our favourite people in the world is big d- Paul McGrath pretty much pretty much we haven't been to Cork in ages on it feels like ages to, since we've been in Cork so it's I'm, I'm looking forward to it immensely Brian Kerr is going to be down there with us loads of other people as well a big convoy heading down very shortly but we've mm. just enough time to come in here to studio this morning and reflect on the ridiculous <laughs> just the insane success of Connacht at the week. there was uh, there was a, a little theme running through it Murph trophy yeah. presentations yeah, I had this in my head when I was watching Connacht win. I was like, I was thinking, this is so much more joyous than the Real Madrid presentation the previous day, where mm. Sergio Ramos essentially. Oh, you, you did the same thing as me. Then I switched over it, you know, five to or twenty to twenty eight to watch the Champions League, and I actually went back yesterday. I went back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Of course. I was forgetting that the Connacht yeah, game was yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. That's that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. I recorded the aftermatch stuff. Went back to watch it. Yeah. And actually, was watching it yesterday, and I'm so glad I watched it yeah, because it was, brilliant. It, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, well, you had the you had first of all you had players rugby tack- players in suits rugby yeah. tackling players uh, in their kit after the game. You had the just John Muldoon's uh, hyperventilating interview mm. and the joy and it's just the uncontrolled and uncontrived joy yeah. on their faces compared to Sergio Ramos like ordering the UEFA mandarins over oh. to where he was standing deliver the trophy here, buddy. This is. La Decima plus one, whatever yeah. that is. So get, get your ass over here. Yeah, it was awful. I think you can tell a lot from the willingness of people to hold the trophy at these things. Connacht players literally, I, I just want to hold it for one second and then I don't want to hold it anymore. <laughs> and the Real Madrid players just running off in all directions on uh, little solo runs of their own. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it was weird actually. The Muldoon interview, I was talking to someone uh, yesterday and I was like, did you see the John Muldoon interview? It's brilliant. You know, and <laughs> your man asked me, what did he say? And he was like, 
Well, he didn't say you know he didn't say it. I mean, it wasn't Churchillian you know, but it was absolutely amazing just to see the emotion on the guy's face. Yeah, I mean, if if you if you saw the text of what he said, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it would reduce you to tears, but watching the man's face and his reaction to winning that game, I mean, you felt it. You felt it so much just watching him. And I mean, I think uh, a lot a lot of these stories sometimes they need. Like the the one guy that sums it up, the story that sums <laughs> it up, and that's Muldoon. Okay. For him to be man of the match, there is also you know I, I think everyone's had a stab at trying to understand you know where Connacht are and what they mean to Connacht people beyond the three or four thousand people in Golda City that you know that are rugby people that went to rugby schools, played it, played it in schools and all the rest. Mm. I mean Muldoon is the guy; he's the gateway character, and has been since El- uh, Elwood retired. That he he's been the guy that everyone knows. Everyone saw that ridiculous photograph of him playing junior B hurling for Portumna in the jerseys. You know, not just way too small for him. <laughs> uh, everyone knows that he's mates with the Cannings, and it, it's sometimes you just need a, a figure like that that's so immediately identifiable to everyone else, to everyone from any background. And I'm talking really about GA because it's not like soccer is a big thing in any of the five counties of Connacht either. So what you need is a guy like Muldoon to just draw people in, to say this is, we, you know, guys like John Muldoon play for Connacht and that's, that should be good enough for everyone. And for him to have a day like that, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's absurd. It's, it's absurd. crazy, yeah. absolutely and, uh, crazy. As Shane was saying afterwards, we'll talk to Jerry and Shane shortly, this is the end of this Connacht team. Mm. It's, that's the way professional sport is. A bunch of them are already leaving. So this is the last time this group of players will be together and they can try and recreate that and hopefully they will have further success. But you just have to enjoy that moment. Mm. Uh, and I think they did. Uh, probably went over their heads to a certain extent. It must have been almost surreal for them to achieve that success. Yeah, but I mean, that's the same in all sport. Liam Griffin said that in the Wexford dressing room in 1996 after they won the All-Ireland. This is the last time all 35 of us will be in a dressing room together. And he was right. The, you know, the, the following year, a couple of guys retired. You know, I'm sure he, he might have been gone at that stage even the following year. But, I mean, that's the reality of sport, not just even professional sport. So there's no point thinking about next year for in, in, in any code in a lot of ways. All you can do is win the tournament you're in. And the way Connick did it, play the best rugby, be the most entertaining, be the most beloved and just go out and totally kick ass in a final. I mean, that's, you know, there's no argument after that. Simon, get in here. You're itching yeah. to get involved. Yeah. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> I'm from Leinster. I've always supported them. But uh, it was one of my favorite finals of all time. I think the way they played in the final was almost as much of a statement as the fact that they won it. And also, you know, a half full Murrayfield. How the hell do you make that an exciting place? And it's filled with Connacht fans and Connacht players. Like they just, it, it seemed irrelevant by the end that the stadium wasn't full, which was a worry in the build-up. Everything about Connacht's season, there's been no negative to it. I, and a few people tweeted me, "Oh, Henshaw's leaving," but you know that's next season. Like mm. this season has had no negative. We talked about the laptop stuff, and you know there's a few other things. Well, that was just, they that they was all turned out to be positive. Really. Yeah, they all turned just, out to be positive. Yeah. Like. Off the field, absolute class. We talked about Muldoon there. He's got no media training veneer to him whatsoever. <laughs> He's exactly the same face to face as he will be to the media, you know. And you can tell that straight away. It's like you know, the difference between a bad and a good best man speech. You can tell somebody's faking it or somebody's <laughs> yeah. real. And, yeah, yeah. and John Muldoon is exactly. I'm not sure any of this would happen without John Muldoon. That's yeah. how important he was. Yeah. And he's gotten better. Like he's now a far better player than he was in his early 20s. And the, uh, the style that they. I think we knew that this was going to happen, that they were going to play 
the way they've been playing all season because well we, we knew they were going to try we knew they were going to try yeah and and they did make mistakes as they've made all all season uh, Gregor, Gregor Townsend was excellent in co-commentary mm. with Shane actually he was uh, I don't know why I'm surprised about that obviously he knows these teams inside out but he was just really enthusiastic about Connick's win you're thinking you just you know you got beaten by these guys but he, he seemed to uh, you know, he he was pushing that angle. That look, you know, they 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 turn over the ball more often than any other team because they play like this, and they, they just take that they just take that hit, and they've brought that into a final, which is exactly as you said. We knew they were going to try to do it, but to execute it to a really high level, particularly for the first half, and almost kill the game was the insane. quality of yeah. the tries was <laughs> absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Like how relaxed are Matt Healy and Tiernan O'Halloran in space? More than almost any other Irish player at the moment, at any level. I mean, they just, they look like I have three or four options here. I might kick it, I might dab it through, I might offload it, I might take the tackle. It's like uh, under sevens kids who are just sort of, you know, not thinking about the end result. They're just, just enjoying this I moment. Tackled, yeah. you know, and, like uh, Matt Healy had so up. much time to think on the biggest occasion of his career when he received that first ball up in the air. You know, he had loads of space inside his own 22. He had so many options and that can often freeze a player. But actually, he chose the exact perfect time to burst and accelerate and the exact right time. He took the tackle correctly and then it was great um, clear out by Muldoon, etc., etc. But, you know, the difference between a player who's like, oh, I don't know what... It gets tight when they've space and options versus a guy who's relaxed. Leinster, will we talk about how bad Leinster were or will we save that for... Uh, our chat with Jerry and Jane. Well, uh, honestly, <laughs> you take the, it, take was like, down here? it was like two different eras playing each other. It'd be like, you know, we watch old 80s or 90s rugby and modern. It felt a little bit like that or it felt like Northern Hemisphere against Southern Hemisphere. You know, it didn't feel like two teams from the same league. Well, Shane and Jerry are ready to go. Jerry's in studio. Uh, as was the first question, Jerry, is whether or not you remained a cold-eyed, detached observer of this, of this game that you were working at or did you get swept up in the emotion of it all? Well, I chose a seat to the left of the press box, which um, just before kickoff I noticed was adjacent to the uh, the box where all the Leinster staff were, the coaching staff and video staff, and sitting directly in front of the two Leinster press officers. So <laughs> um, I try to keep a lid on it all anyway, as you try and do. But there were moments in the first half where you just couldn't be but be swept away by by the manner they played, the manner Connor played, and the tries they scored. Um, you just couldn't but be blown away by it. I don't. I think it's probably the best Pro 12 final performance I've seen, and oh, certainly since the inaugural one, when Leinster won with 14 men against Monster, the best since then. And uh, it was just the manner of it and the occasion. Um, the Connacht fans and the Leinster fans made something of a, a poor choice of venue, which, like I said here last week, probably was going to work to Connacht's advantage more than Leinster's because they know Murrayfield better than they know the Aviva. And uh, they've won there before this season with a bonus point. They, they made the pitch look big. Um, it was the biggest compliment I can give them. The wit they played with, the skills, the accuracy, the patience and the willingness to have a go. Uh, I'm reliably informed that Lamb took, took the three outside backs before, aside before the game and said, have a go, lads, this is your day. Right. And they've counter-attacked and they've got the best counter-attacking game in uh, the Pro 12 by some distance. And I think two of the three tries originated in their willingness to have a counter-attack. Um, and even the third one did, when Mar- you think of Marmion's breakout from deep. So that willingness to have a go from anywhere in the pitch... Um, Forced Lance to miss 28 tackles, stretched them beyond breaking points several times. And just the sheer opportunism from Nia Dialokan for his try, for Matt Healy for his counter-attack and his try, and for Tiernan O'Halloran, the way he took his first try. It was just, uh, it was just, they were going to go down, they were going to die with their boots on. If they didn't win, they were just going to try and play their rugby, and it worked for them, and they, they well deserved it. Shane, you were in the thick of the uh, sort of post-match celebrations on the pitch afterwards there, a bunch of the Connacht players going by and doing interviews and all the rest of it. Uh, we, we were struck by just how, 
I just that unrestrained joy of a team's first triumph at that level. Yeah, no, it was actually really brilliant. And um, by the end of the game, I felt, having been a Leinster player, I felt really disappointed in their performance. But it was impossible not to be overawed by what was going on with Connacht, um, their performance level, uh, the individual stories. But most of all, just what they had done for you know for the game, actually. That's what was really the overarching um, thought that I had in my head. The way they were playing, how they shown what they can do and how they left every little bit of um, of their skill level on the pitch in, in Murrayfield. It was really a remarkable performance and sort of, it was one that gave you, you know, really re-energised your hope in what rugby can do and what players are capable of because there was a lot of old dogs on that uh, team that had learnt new tricks. That and a lot of brilliant stories about young guys who just are playing rugby the right way. Yeah, and we had debated last week, Jay. Well, there was no debate about whether or not they were going to try and play mm. the, the, the same way. It was the only logical thing to do, but... It's all well and good, Pat Lamb, telling these young lads to go out and express themselves, but for them to to then go and do it, I, I don't know who you give most of the praise to, the, the players, Pat Lamb, it's obviously a collect, collective, uh, collective sort of effort. He's picked very good backroom staff as well, and right. Dave Ellis and Andre Bell, their skills coach and their backs coach, they made this possible, and it's the culmination of three years' work, you know, coming in that very first week, three seasons ago or two seasons ago, and, you know, demanding they each had their own rugby ball, and they would, you know, learn new skills and play this way they were playing, and... I know once somebody came up to Pat Lam after their eight defeats in a row to start that season, I think they beat Zebra in their first match and then lost their next eight. So, you know, there were learnings as the new buzzword in rugby now, particularly in Connacht, along the way, and they all bought into it. So I think you have to give Lam. Lam's a true visionary. He came with a vision. He sold a vision to the likes of Bundyaki and Tom McCartney and Jay Keenan. Um, so the Kiwi influence was very profound. McCartney was magnificent. Bundyaki's just been sensational. Um, he's a cult figure there. Um, and his impact on matches, his capacity to influence games with big plays. They've just been extraordinary acquisitions. He sold them a vision, they bought into it, and the vision has been realised. They've become Pro 12 champions, playing a brand of rugby that I think, yeah, you've got to give the, all the players credit. You, you think of Ali Muldowney, contender for player of the season, um, primary ball winner, come quasi-first receiver, playmaker, <laughs> um, made 20 tackles in the final, a phenomenal performance. And as Shane said, you know, you look at somebody like John Muldoon, quick hands, um, you can teach old dog new tricks, and it was great for the likes of Muldoon in his 14th season or 13th season, in his 275th game, finally reaching the promised land, and other players like Ronan Lockney, who's been there 11 seasons, Tiernan O'Halloran, a relative veteran, even though he's only 24, and Andrew Brown in nine seasons there. You know, that they have this core of um, home produced indigenous players whom the crowd can identify, and obviously Robbie Henshaw signed off in such a great way. And then this. These players who didn't cut it in Leinster, like Adil Okun and Matt Healy, who've just been sensational. They, their outside three <clears throat> went into that game with 19 league tries between them and took their tally to 22. The Leinster trio outside backs had only two tries, and I don't think that's reflecting on the quality of the six players concerned more than manner they go about playing their game. Shane, could you give us some insight to that as a, a former back three player? The way that the Connick back three run, it's as if they're going to beat the opposition man every single time. And they sometimes get caught, but they sort of <coughs> half get through the tackle. Whereas the Leinster back three, I don't know whether this is coaching or what, it's as if they're expecting the rook or expecting the tackle and then the next phase to happen. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a point there. You also see this sort of animation that Tyrion uh, Hanron in particular, every time he gets the ball, he sort of tries something different. They were sitting down, the Leinster players, they were going for the outside break. But it wasn't just a, a matter of the individual. It was an overall philosophy of how they got the ball out wide 
and um, what sort of shape they were in when the ball was presented out wide because there was a lot of movement from Leinster trying to you know, move the ball wide in the second half when they when their backs were against the wall. But because, one, they hadn't done it a lot this season, and secondly, because they were doing it so far behind the game line mm-hmm. that it was very passive and it was out there. It, it, it went out to that wide channel, but there was a huge drift from the inside from Connacht, which meant that there was very little capacity and a little bit opportunity for the players when they got the ball out, where the difference was when Connacht uh, back three got the ball, there was, it was either a one-on-one or they were around the corner because they've executed uh, their skills so well in getting the ball out there. And that's because they've been doing it all season. And there was such a huge difference between the way Leinster moved the ball out and um, into the outside channel and the way Connacht uh, moved the ball in the outside channel. That was, from one, pers- one perspective, um, the skill of getting it out there. And the other was the defence that Leinster and Connacht uh, operated when the other was trying to do it. Leinster were so shaky. They really didn't have confidence in their old defensive system. And this is a team that had the best defensive system of the year. But it looked as if they, were, they didn't know what Connacht were going to do and they were so slow off the line. It was really remarkable. That coupled with not putting anyone in rooks was, I think, like a, tactically a fundamental error. Yeah, it's interesting, Shane. <clears throat> Tierno Halloran has said over the last few weeks that his first instinct whenever he receives the ball, and he's given licence to do so by Pat Lamb, is to look for the counter-attack. Matt Healy from that long kick from um, Owen Redden, he covered the ground well so he could catch him in the full, and he sized up his options, and he used his footwork and his strength to beat three players. And the key to it really was that John Muldoon was there to effect a quick clear-out, and they could move the ball on to Tierno Halloran, who was going to join the ruck himself but stayed out because he could see Muldoon was going to clear it out. And I was asking Pat Lamb about this afterwards, and I'm sure you can verify this. For a good counter-attacking game, it's not just about the outside three. Sure it isn't. It's about the entire team. And he regularly goes through the video. He wanted to make Connacht the best counter-attacking team in the league. And to that end, that meant that everybody else had to be in the same wavelength and everybody else had to work back. And when he saw counter-attacking opportunities and he saw the back three counter-attack and he'd go back through the video recession on Monday, if he saw any player walking they were highlighted and this told him you, got, you need, obviously need more fitness work and it meant that nobody loitered. When the ball went deep to any of those three, you see all the other 12 players working back as well and that means that you know, if you do get, take the ball into contact, there's a quick clear out and it's on. And it's a, it's a mindset and philosophy that's taken a while to cultivate. You, you can't just turn on a counter-attacking game overnight, sure you can't. 100% and I, I was watching it a number of times during the game and not from a comic perspective because they almost did it perfectly every time there was an opportunity to either counterattack or turn over ball. I was looking from a Leinster perspective and the Leinster, when there was a t- turnover, instead of ramping up the pace, they almost slowed down the ball and we saw that many times. You saw players like they're gesturing to calm down and have a slow rook just off uh, one off the, the rook. And I'm saying, this is crazy. Turnover ball is the, only, is the best ball you can possibly get to, to, to counter-attack as quickly as you can. And it's not enough just for the person who turns the ball over or the first receiver. It's, as you said, a complete mindset. And that collective mindset it didn't exist with Leinster. It was like that they, they didn't know what to do when they, got, when they had turnover ball. Well, everybody knows. I was sitting next to Gregor Townsend. He was yeah. saying, why aren't they shifting the ball two passes immediately mm. Uh, as soon as they get turnover ball, and that wasn't happening with Leinster, I just couldn't believe it. It was it was incredibly naive, and it was as if um, they they never counterattacked before. Well, my only guess, Shane, would be that they are, came up were coming up against this team who played the type of rugby they can't play, and maybe didn't want to get dragged into that 
fast paced a game. Maybe they felt it would be better if they just slow it down. I'm not saying this is a great way to play rugby, but I assume that, that was a, it wasn't just something that happened on the pitch. It was talked about in advance that we slow it down at any given opportunity so that, so that they can't get to the, the sort of pitch they need to get to. Well, there was, there was, you know, I think there was a couple of things that Lancer went into the game with that were just, just fundamentally wrong. Um, and that was one of them. I, think, I don't know why you wouldn't, I just don't know why you wouldn't try and shift the ball to the mm. wide channels. Like, it's known if there's a turnover, get two passes and see where you are as soon as you've made the two passes. Instead, Lancer were hitting the ball up, as I said, that one channel out, and then they were seeing when they were, but where they were. But at that point, Connacht had realigned and there was absolutely no stress on the defensive line. The other thing that, I couldn't get my head around was well two things one the, the, how slow they were off the line especially in that first half so like what Connacht do is you know they play that um, and they play that uh, two four two setup so what you have to do is you have to have a line speed fast enough to stop them getting from the outside and it doesn't matter if they've got then four players in the wide channel if you stop the ball you know getting outside the you know the third last man it's that's no problem just your line speed beats that sort of um that setup and Leicester were so soft in in their uh, line speed that they were letting Connacht get out to that wide channel and then they were under a huge amount of stress because their back three were were equipped to try and beat their man and they were beating their man not every time but they were you know they were either making meters on contact or they were going soft around the corner or there was a disconnect between the second last and the last man and they were, there was a huge yard to be made so one that Leinster's line speed was never fast enough but even more key I think was that they, they weren't putting any men into rook so they weren't contesting the rook now Anybody who's watched Connacht this season will recognise that because they've got so many options, because they're looking for the offload, because they've players running lines and they're going wide, it means they don't resource the rook quite as well as they should. And we saw uh, Glasgow, even the week before, you know, Glasgow had a couple of uh, turnovers and Connacht throughout the whole season have been um, susceptible to turnovers, or turnovers if you put extra numbers in rook. And Leinster had nobody in the rook. So that meant... The thought process behind it for Leinster was put nobody in the rook. Then we have 14 men across the field and we get off uh, We get off fast off the line and we stop Connor from doing anything. But instead of what actually happened was they put no one in the rook because the rook became so fast and, and um, because Connacht only had to put one number in the rook, then Leinster had no time to realign. So it didn't matter they had 14 men on their feet. They were all connected to the rook and two passes beat almost the whole team. So that was a fundamental error that I would have thought you would have seen having watched Connacht at any point this year and realising that that was something you had to do, was to put numbers in rooks, and Leinster didn't do it. I don't know why they didn't. The other really noticeable thing, Shane, was that the Leinster defenders, particularly the backline defenders in the centre and out wide, they constantly looked as if they were guessing what Connacht attackers would do. It was as if the Connacht attackers had loads of options and Leinster were trying to guess which one of these three or four will they do. Uh, and opposite to that, Connacht were constantly lining up uh, the Leinster attackers and reading their intentions and putting in big hits, particularly in the first half. That's exactly what happened because um, Connacht were completely um, confident in what they were trying to do. That's what it looked like. And was, they were very aware that they were thinking, right, we're going to keep our line speed up. We're going to challenge Leinster's skill set. And we don't think they're good enough to go around us. And it was exactly the case. Leinster's skill set got worse and worse as the game went on. There were so many passes inside shoulder, so many passes that, w- that weren't in front. Um, Leinster then ended up doing all their play behind the game line and made things really easy. So even when Connacht did come up and they didn't um, 
hit the man in possession, they could they would come up so far they could then adjust and drift out afterwards. Whereas Leinster, who had seemed so confident all year in their defensive strategy, they came against somebody that could actually move the ball into the wide channel on a good day with good hands and a team that was used to it. So they were, you know, their line speed was sort of um, not super fast, but sort of it was a, it was an average line speed. But they got into this horrible position where they realised that actually Connor can move the ball all the way out into the wide channels where we're one-on-one or not even one-on-one. We're on quite a slow drift. And um, they, they looked panicky every time the ball was moved out into the wild channels because they hadn't committed to what their defensive system was. And even by the time Kermit Quilkin got them in at half time, it was clear they couldn't they couldn't uh, put the genie back in the bottle. They were they looked as if they were a team that was scared um, of of the the prowess that Connacht had in the wide channels, and with good reason because Connacht were so impressive out there. Jerry panicky, scared. It's not what you, you would have expected from Leinster up until recently, anyway. Yeah, it felt like that, and it was in such a contrast <clears throat> to their semi final performance, which <clears throat> now in hindsight looks more and more like a, a special one off due to the circumstances of being thrashed up in Belfast by Ulster and getting the same opponents back um, two or three weeks later in the RDS. So as a one-off game in the RDS where they're unbeaten this season against particularly Ulster, they ratcheted up their line speed and defence. And just as Shane was describing all that, I was thinking back to that turning point early in the second half against Ulster after Ulster fought their way back into the game when their line speed um, kept knocking uh, Ulster Carrier down behind the game line and they poured through, really contested the ruck, and Jamie Heaslip won the turnover, from which they went upfield for Teal and Ringroll to show their bit of magic and for Heaslip to score. And that was undoubtedly the defining moment of the game. And they never replicated that. I thought they did try and up their line speed significantly at the start of the second half, and they were defending much better and kind of weren't actually getting anywhere. And Leinster were going through the phases. They got their first three points, and it felt like there was a, a revival in the making, actually until John Muldoon targeted, I think it was Hayden Triggs, the ball in the carry, and won the turnover. But then, the huge contrast, as Shane was taking, Kieran Marmion gets the ball, and his first instinct is to look for where the space might be and to attack, and he takes it up to halfway. And then their skill set as they went wide to O'Halloran, Tom McCartney's stunning step of both Jack McGrath and Luke Fitzgerald. <clears throat> and they stayed patient, and there was always space on the rugby pitch. And as Leinster then kept pushing up, AJ McGinty found it in behind from Matt Healy. And Connor had been better than anybody at finding the space in the pitch. It's very aware, heads up rugby. They have their systems in place, but then they also have ball players who, who will look and see what their options are at any given moment. And, uh, and it's way more developed than Leinster's running game, counter-attacking game or anything else. And it, it was a surprise to see them so panicky in the first half. They'd missed 28 tackles. I mean, this is just... It's extraordinary, and I do think Kurt McCook can try to regroup at half-time, but by then, a lot of the damage has been done, and then that pivotal play pretty much sealed the deal for Connacht. Shane, what about the fact that you've played in quite a few finals, that Connacht put in their, probably their best performance mm. of the season in the final? Having been their second-best semi-final. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, they certainly did. Uh, and Leinster maybe put in one of their worst performances, but I can't keep... I, uh, I really don't want to be harping on about this, but if you look at the tries that uh, Leinster scored, uh, sorry, that Connick scored, they were really based on the fact that, their, that the ball was uh, recycled so quickly. And it was a really fundamental error of Leinster to, to think that... Um, we could um, they, that they could get back onto the line without committing anyone to the rook, and they uh, could set and get off the line fast enough. If you look for Andy Loken try, and then um, the O'Hanron uh, try a little bit later on, there was no sweeper in behind, mm. and that was because um, Owen Redden 
uh, couldn't get back into that role because the ball came back so fast that he had to get into the front line. And, you know, I think that Leinster will look back at this video and they will say, you know, why didn't we slow that ball up? Because it was occasion after occasion where Connacht themselves only committed maybe one to Rook. But they did so, they were so effective, they were so aggressive in uh, what they had to do at, at breakdown that, uh, and because Leinster didn't have anybody else, that was enough. And they're going to be really, really disappointed that there was an, there was an opportunity to, to sort of knock Connacht off their game. And they never took it because, you know, the way Connacht played, you said it there, the way Connacht played, it was almost as they would have written it down uh, before the game and said, if, listen, if everything was going to go perfect, if we want to play exactly the style we're going to, we want to play, and you want Lancer to, to play in the way that would suit us best, that's exactly how it, uh, how it um, unwound for the day. And um, credit to them for, for implementing the game plan that we've seen all season. I don't think that was really surprising. I think they were always going to do it. But the skill level that they did it with, with which was incredible. Like there was very few balls uh, were inside shoulder. Very few missed tackles for them. You know, every one of them was alive on their feet. Um, Ali Mundani was just exceptional in the way he carried the ball. If you look at it, if you sort of contrast him between uh, um, between him and the Leinster forwards, you knew uh, Leinster were so predictable in their carries. Mundani, although he can pass the ball fantastically, but he doesn't change his body shape. So when he's moving, when he's given the ball first, you think actually he's he's going to carry the ball, but like a back, he can move the ball straight across his um, the chest and activate the pass at the same time as well. And, and every time Leinster player forward got the ball, generally they just chucked it up. But even when they were trying to move the ball, it was really slow, it was predictable, and it was really deep. And you know, for me, that sort of Ali Muldowney performance, more than anyone else, even more than John Muldoon, sort of indicated to me what Connacht are about and why they were so successful. Shane, when Munster finally won their Heineken Cup, obviously they were went on to be the best team in Europe for a few years and were, were up there for a few years before Leinster dominated after they won the Heineken Cup for a few years. What do you think is going to happen with Connacht over the next couple of seasons? Is this something that can be... Uh, sort of a launch pad is there enough there do you think do you think that they actually can cement their new status within Irish and European rugby or is it a one-off well I was having that conversation with Gregor Townsend after the game and he was convinced that this was more than a one-off uh, and I know they're losing players I know Connacht will never put that same side out again but he was saying uh, you know, uh, as I believe as well that the philosophy is actually bigger than any individual on that team and you're seeing there's actually a number of young players coming through as well. And yes, uh, Connacht will lose a couple of key players this year, but that win will have done so much for them psychologically. But not just the win, the process of the year and um, how they've played their rugby and the overall um, effect of trusting your skill set. And they've done that throughout the year and they've one as a result of trusting their skill set and that has to leave that has to leave an indelible mark in the whole organization so yeah players will go but if they can harness it if they can if they can you know recommit to what they're doing again i don't think there's any reason why they can't with pat lamb i think you know who knows and it's not as if the the pro 12 is this you know, ultra exceptional league at the moment where everybody's playing a, a, a wild brand of rugby and they're doing something that we haven't seen in any other uh, league around the world. 
the Pro 12 league at the moment is a very conservative league. league. And you know, I think Glasgow play rugby um, in the right sort of way when they're trying to do it. Connacht now do it. But aside from those two, there's very few more, there's very, very few teams that are trying to do something different. And not only, I think, will Connacht have this performance in this season had an effect on Connacht into the future, but if the Pro 12 uh, coaches are wise in any way, or they're smart about what they're trying to do, or they're, very, or, or they're self-critical, they'll realise that there's, there's a huge mindset that has to change in the league because teams that continue on to try and grind out results week in, week out, as we've seen so much of it, will, you know, they might get to the top four and they'll get beaten in Europe though and they might, you know, squeak out results here and there and they might even win more games than they lose. But if you want to win the league or if you want to compete in Europe, then you have to do something different. And Connacht have done a service, you know, in my mind, to every team in the Pro 12 and right across the Northern Hemisphere saying you can play a different type of rugby and that sort of rugby is successful and it beats a conservative type of rugby. It beats a negative type of rugby. And if, if teams don't get on board with that, um, they, you know, they, might, they may get to, the, as I said, may get to the top four, but they certainly won't win Europe. And that's what Leinster, Connacht and Ulster really have to think about. Jerry, you were in Galway, I say, I assume nobody was worrying too much about the future or even today, let alone next season. No, they weren't too much, although um, uh, it was, a, yeah, it was about local guardy, I reckon there was maybe 10 or 15,000 in the streets. The weather forecast wasn't good, but the sun shone. It was like... Um, it was just, it was the perfect day. Carthburg don't do celebration days, but if they did, this would be it. Um, and uh, they got to the sports ground. The back pitch was full. There was a temporary stage put up for the players. Lamb introduced every single member of the squad, bar one or two who couldn't last that particular pace, <laughs> um, which is probably just as well they didn't show up. Yeah. Um, but uh, John Muldoon did say, see you all in September. We have a title to defend. Um, I do think Conniff arrived, and I don't think they have any intention of going away. I think Simon's question about the way they they played in that final shows they become a green machine they mm. just believe in their processes I think other people are going to think differently about them yes. whatever they thought about themselves before the final yeah. every other team and coach thinks differently about them from now on and they will be targeted now that the holders they're no longer the, the underdog they're now the holders and they are losing Ali Muldowney who's been a key player for them they are losing Robbie Henshaw who had a magnificent game the weekend um, they're losing AJ McGinty um, but they've you know I think they've used 46 players this season. they blooded eight academy players. That's been the success of the story, that the way the Ulton Delans and Nia Delokuns and Matt Healy's have emerged, but also the way young players have come into the team, like Peter Robb and Shane O'Leary, the fourth choice I'd have. It's just been quite seamless, the way they've all come in. James Connolly, Sean O'Brien, the back row, you know, have really given strength and reserve there. And the main benefit of this success is probably going to be in their recruitment. It ain't going to be as hard to sell now to get a marquee back in to replace Robbie Henshaw, which I would imagine be their primary target. Um, so, yeah, be, next year won't be a World Cup year. Um, they might have helped a little bit and given them a leg up, because no doubt about it, Leinster, Glasgow and others were more affected by the World Cup than Connacht were. But um, they've built something now. They've over 4,000 season tickets sold for next season. They already, I think, that'll probably surge again in the end of June when the Champions Cup draw is made. They are now top seeds for that draw. Uh, and the only Irish team, our Pro 12 team, guaranteed to be top seeds. Leinster might be as well, depending on how the draw goes. So, um, and the main thing is, Pat Lamb is there for another two years, as is uh, Dave Ellis, Andre Bell, and Jimmy Duffy, who's done a superb job at the forwards, seamlessly taking over from Dan McFarland. And the core of them, and there's a new breed of young kind of player 
that not only has a very high skill set and is very well conditioned, but has an expectancy to win now and has a confidence and belief in his own abilities and those of all those around him in that green machine. So like I said, they've arrived and I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. Whether or not they replicate the stunning success of last Saturday and actually win a Pro 12 again or... That's their title. That's already their target. That's what Pat Lamb said straight after the game. Their target is to retain the title and to get to the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup. If they do that, it'll be some season. If they, but it, I think they're just going to be contenders again. And yeah. uh, that's a hell of a thing to say that Connor will be contenders two seasons in a row. Hell of an achievement. Listen, yeah. Jerry, Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks a million. In the final and in again. And here. I could literally sit around here talking Connacht all day after the weekend, but we do have to start making a move to Cork at some stage. I know the roads are, are really good these days, but we still actually have to get there mm. to, to do the show. But I do want to ask you boys, the Leicester um, Connacht comparison has been made a million times. What's more likely to happen next year? Leicester to win the Premier League again. For, well, first, Leicester to win the Premier League again or Connacht to win the Pro 12 again? Oh, Connacht, Connacht. to win the Pro, the what Pro about 12, definitely. Leicester? I thought that would be the case. So what about Leicester to win the Premier League? I think you might see where I'm going with this. Okay. Connacht to win the Champions Cup. <laughs> first time of asking. Is it the I first still, time I still think Connacht. Connacht, yeah. I still think Connacht Con- to win the Champions Cup. Well, they could easily, you could easily see them making a, a home quarter final. <laughs> then they're in a semi-final probably. Which could be in a home semi-final. So you're semi-final. saying that they are going to win the Champions Cup. Yeah, yeah, you're putting words in our mouth there, Owen. Paul McGrath is going to be in Cork with us. Brian Kerr is going to be in Cork with us and plenty more besides. We're really looking forward to the show, Crane Lane, tonight. That's Monday night. It'll be out for you on Tuesday morning. And a reminder also that we're going to have daily podcasts. This is essentially the show is to kick off our Euros coverage. We're going to have daily podcasts during the tournament. So we're going to be in here talking... A lot of shite about the Euros, <laughs> essentially. Uh, Looking doing forward what to we it. do best, or yes, at least, indeed. least worst. Well yes, done, so. Connacht. Once again, thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Thanks, all. thanks, thanks, all. thanks, thanks for listening.